Hello once again my ghouls and goblins, and welcome once more for another Odyssey into the Obsidian Mirror on this episode of Scry. I am the Seer, your host for this visitation of what lies beyond the veil and in the realm of shadows. In this episode, we will look into an unusual urban legend. A mall rat that refuses to leave. A phantasmal father. And an eerie experience in the woods. Let's go ahead and get into the stories shared, shall we? Our first tale comes from A.J. Parmalee and features a series of encounters that he and his wife experienced over the course of their relationship. Let's listen in. I had never believed in ghosts, or spectral figures, etc., until this happened to me. In 1965, I had driven from Washington, D.C. to a little unincorporated town in central West Virginia to visit my soon-to-be wife. She lived with her mom, two sisters, and a brother in a railroad timber house which her father had built on the side of the mountain. There was no road, no electricity, no running water, no telephone. Just a trail up the mountain above the tracks. My girlfriend and I were asleep in a front bedroom, and something woke me. I looked, and in the moonlight, could see a man standing in the doorway looking at us. I nudged my wife-to-be. She woke up, saw the figure, and said, Daddy? The figure disappeared. We jumped up, ran into the hall, and the next youngest sister came running down the hall saying, I just saw Daddy. I later found out that we were sleeping in the room and bed in which her father had died about five years previously. I also heard that he was fiercely protective of his daughters. I later saw a photograph of her father and the figure was identical down to the slouch hat he was wearing. To say it disturbed me is an understatement. To get to the house, you had to park about a quarter mile away on a road, walk across a field, climb a creek bank, walk across a swinging pedestrian bridge in a grove of trees, cross the railroad tracks, and climb up the mountain in the woods about a hundred yards on a steep trail. They had carried all furniture and their belongings in by hand. I always came at night, after I got off duty in DC, and it was almost 300 miles, 
so it was well into the early morning when I arrived. And while walking across that field, I always felt like I was being watched. And by a malevolent presence, but just blew it off as due to the eerie area. I later found out that the father used to sit in the grove of trees at night and look out across the field. Coincidence? I don't know. But now, I believe in supernatural occurrences. My wife was known to the family, I also found out later on, to be gifted. She had been born with a veil over her face and was prescient to a great extent. Even as a small girl, she would predict things that came to be. She and her sister were running down the railroad tracks to the nearest telephone to get a doctor for their father when she stopped and told her sister, he's dead. They went back to the house and it was so. We were married, had a two-year-old son, and we were going to work on post in Alaska. She worked for post engineers, and I was in HQ. We always put him in daycare on post. She suddenly stopped and said, We can't take him today. He will get hurt. I poo-pooed it, and finally talked her into taking him. And at noon, we were called out to pick our kid up and take him to the hospital for stitches. Coincidence? Don't know. When we went to a doctor to diagnose my wife's illness, which had been seen by numerous doctors but not diagnosed, she told the doctor, I have leukemia. Tests revealed that to be true. She was taken by that disease after fighting it for seven years. AJ Parmalee, thank you for that tale. And you have my condolences on the loss of your wife. I am sure all of our hearts are with you regarding your loss. On a lighter note, as someone who has moved around a lot, I can honestly say that I am glad I have never had to carry furniture or belongings over a distance quite like that. The most I have had to worry about was staircases. Thank you again, AJ. Let's now shift our gaze to South Dakota, where James shares with us his tale of a region's urban legend becoming all too eerily real. Here's his tale. I found your podcast a while back 
and I want to start by telling you thank you for the entertainment that you have provided me and my friends. That is something that means more than I can fully explain, because entertainment on the res could be hard to come by. I'm not sure where to really start, or how I should go about explaining what I saw, because what I experienced scared me then, and scares me still. But it also has ties to my culture that many people are probably unaware of. My name is James, and I am Oglala Lakota, and live on the Pine Ridge Reservation. I have lived here all my life, and this event happened about 15 years ago. I was with a couple of my friends, and we were crammed into my uncle's pickup truck. It was several years old, but my uncle and father had managed to keep it running. I went with my friends into the Badlands, which can be incredibly beautiful and breathtaking, as well as somewhat dangerous from missteps, rattlesnakes, and of course, the Trulun Ha, a vicious wolf with the wings of an owl that attacks the unsuspecting. Okay, so I'm kidding about that last part, but one does need to watch their step and mind their surroundings in the Badlands. So we had spent most of the day in the Badlands, hoping to maybe find a fossil or two, taking in the views, but mainly playing with my friends. It was evening when we left, and before we made it home, the sun had begun to set, and night began to overtake us. We were driving along, joking and laughing as kids do, and my cousin notices something up ahead on the road. He tells us to look, so we all do. Up ahead on the road, there is a man just standing there, lit up by the truck's headlights. We get closer and slow way down so that we don't hit him. He is facing us, and we try to make it out, but we can't make out his face. The harder we look, the more his face hides from us. And we notice that the man is tall also. Really tall. And he wore a tall hat that made him more so. My cousin that was driving tells the rest of us to be quiet and not look at the man. But we do of course and he steps on the gas, speeding away from the man as fast as we can get. After dropping off our friends, my cousin and I went home. He tells my uncle about the tall man on the road, and he tells us that we saw walking Sam. He asks if we heard any noise come from walking Sam, and we tell him no. I asked him about this, and he passed on a legend that he heard as a kid. One that was kind of taboo for younger generations, but something that many learned about as they got older. 
Walking Sam is a spirit that looks like a tall man in a stovepipe hat. And it is said that he drives younger people to suicide. It has been told that if you hear him talk or whistle, then you have been targeted by him and he will not stop whispering negativity to you until you kill yourself. Walking Sam sounds like what you would call an urban legend, but suicide among our youngsters on the reservation is many times higher than elsewhere in the United States. Whether this comes from the poverty and unemployment that the majority of the Oglala Lakota know, or the use of drugs and alcohol among the people here, or if this is just a reflection of Walking Sam, I can't say for sure. What I can say, though, is that we saw him that night, and thankfully, he did not want us. I hope that my kids do not ever see him also. Thank you for reading my story, and I'm sorry if it is too long. I hope to hear it on your show. My son downloads the episodes for me when he gets on the internet with his school friends. And like I said at the beginning, it has given me much enjoyment. May God bless you and your listeners. Take care. James, thank you for sharing that encounter with the podcast. I remember hearing of this entity a few years ago and never really looked into it. But I have done some digging after you submitted your story. And the legend about Walking Sam goes back for decades at least. I came across one article that stated Matheson's In the Spirit of Crazy Horse mentions Walking Sam. It's been years since I read that excellent book, and I unfortunately don't remember the reference in there. But I do remember some Bigfoot encounters being mentioned. Anyways, thank you again, James, for the story. And if you have any more encounters that you would like to share, feel free to send them my way. As for the high rate of suicide on the reservation, or anywhere in the world that you may be listening, you can always reach out to me and I will respond. It may take me a while, but I will respond. Or you can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. No matter how bad things may seem, there are people out there who care about you and are willing to talk. When we return, we'll look at an eerie encounter that is a first for Scry. But more on that in just a minute. Hi, this is JC, host of Mission Spooky. And this is Kiki. Join us every other Tuesday as we teach you about historical sites in Pennsylvania and surrounding states. And we talk about paranormal subjects like ghosts, shadow people, magic, and cryptids. 
We also choose some of the more peculiar places and events of Pennsylvania to discuss as well. So please join us for some strange fun and historical subjects wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Scry. Our next episode comes from Alberta Mike and makes a very distinguished first on this little podcast. For this is the first tale I have shared that doesn't have a paranormal aspect to it. But damn it, it was just too creepy not to share. Here is his tale. Years ago, in a fairly remote area of northern Ontario, a gun club friend, his sister whom I knew well, and a woman friend of hers from university and I drove up to the last significant town in the area from Toronto. The woman friend was a purchasing officer for our college, and the college was looking into purchasing a remote wilderness tract to be the outdoor school for the college. She had asked my friend's sister to accompany her, since the location was remote, and she then invited her brother and I. The plan was to stay in a modern large log home on the property overnight and explore the property on foot. When we found the right dirt approach road, it had an old heavy padlocked iron gate set in heavy stone to either side of the road. A realtor had given the purchasing officer the key, so we opened the gate, drove in, and secured it behind us. Two miles in, we found the cabin, a large four-bedroom affair built by a wealthy developer who had never lived there, but put it on the market as soon as it was completed. Once we were there and had unloaded our packs into the cabin, did the purchaser tell us why she wanted some company? The first cabin built there had been burned down, and the second attempt, a decade before, had seen the workers quit for strange reasons that included being stoned with heavy rocks many times. Oh, fuck. The assailants never being seen. This latest cabin was the third attempt, and so far, no one had actually lived on the property. According to the maps, the nearest home in the area was more than 20 miles away. We had enough daylight that we decided to do a first pass at the area right then. We had no firearms with us, but everyone except the purchasing agent had very impressive belt knives and machetes, and we knew how to use both. 
two miles later, through some pretty dense woods, we had reached the edge of the small river on the property and stopped to glass the river with binoculars. My friend and I commented on feeling very uneasy What's wrong? and not hearing any animal or bird sounds at all. The purchasing lady excused herself to go behind some trees. After a few minutes, we heard her say, There are blankets in here. The three of us looked at each other confused and moved forwards to see what she could be looking at. There was a low earthen mound about 15 feet in diameter and maybe 5 feet high right in the bush and with vegetation growing all over the mound. Perfect natural camouflage. It had clearly been there a very long time. Until you got at the right angle, you couldn't see the crude wooden slat door held in place by leather thongs. The purchaser was looking inside when the full situation hit us. My friend and his sister and I all said something like, back out now let's go and she did realizing she had just entered someone's home uninvited she backed out towards us and i felt the sister of my friend grip my arm this lady was as tall as me a black belt in jujitsu and never backed off of anything when her fingernails dug in, I knew we had a real problem. Her only words, said just loud enough for her brother and I to hear, were, We are surrounded. Never good words, but I was looking for people and couldn't see any. My friend was the same but all three of us had taken good grips on our machetes and put our backs together. Where? I asked quietly. She jerked her head around and said, The mounds. There are several of them. My blood literally felt like it had gone to ice water. Then we could see that we were almost in the middle of a group of about half a dozen similar earthen mounds, oriented on the river. My friend gave an uncharacteristic, oh my. Oh, fuck. My friend's sister took point and took purchasing lady in tow. My friend and I were right on the trail behind it, and I think we set a personal best record for running through dense bush. And safety be damned, we ran with drawn machetes and knives. We reached the cabin, held the shortest vote in history, and decided we were driving out even though the sun was setting. 
We tossed our packs in the vehicle, and my friend called me quietly and showed me a crudely written sign on heavily weathered plywood that had been leaned against the side of the vehicle. All it said was go. We did. I was told that the recommendation was for the college to look elsewhere for an outdoor school. Sounded like a plan to me. Alberta Mike, thank you for sharing that experience with the world. I love the outdoors. I love being in nature. The further from civilization, the better. But I'll be damned if I don't always carry a firearm with me when I journey out. And thankfully, I've never encountered anyone that has made me feel the need to use one. I would like to add that I don't plan on sharing too many tales lacking a paranormal aspect. But in Mike's case, well, that was one hell of a story. Our next tale comes from Gearsmithy, who, like myself, was a skater back in the day. But unlike Gearsmithy, my skateboarding misadventures never brought me into any encounters with something supernatural. Let's listen in to his tale. I grew up when hanging out at the mall was the default pastime. The local mall was old when I was young, being built in the 70s. It had all the decor of a discotheque. It had a skate shop on the lower level that I used to spend most of my days lounging around. The manager was cool and let teenagers and regular customers hang out there after hours. We'd sometimes throw small parties late at night and invite the security guards who quickly became good friends. One security guard in particular Josh had a paranormal encounter while on patrol. He was a burly fellow, not huge, but much taller and larger and older than I was at the time. He was not the type to be rattled by anything and was a raging skeptic, especially when the regular topic of aliens and UFOs came up. One night, while I was hanging out with the skate shop manager and a couple of other people, Josh struck off into the hallways that surrounded the mall stores and enabled after hour employees access. His patrol was a routine he'd done many times and was required to do several times throughout his shift. He disappeared, unannounced, as he was prone to do, and none of us thought anything of it. 
A few minutes later, he came bursting through the back door to the skate shop. He threw that door open so violently that it dented the back wall of the skate shop. Josh's face was white as a snowdrift, and his eyes were so wide you'd never guess he even had eyelids. We have to get out of here now, he screamed. Let's go. I have never seen him act that way, and he never did again throughout the persistent friendship we had for many years after that night. None of us questioned him. The look on his face was too serious to raise any objection. We all grabbed our stuff and bolted out the back door and toward the nearest exit. Not that way, I heard Josh belt out over my shoulder as I dropped my skateboard to the ground and began pushing off with everything I had. He took us the long way around to the nearest exit. I've never seen him move that fast. I could barely keep up and I was on a skateboard. He practically kicked the exit door off the hinges and we all ran to the nearest light source in the empty parking lot. Josh, what the fuck is going on? The skate shop manager demanded as we all caught our breath. I remember seeing the blood return to Josh's face. He then proceeded to tell us what he saw. While on patrol, Josh spotted at the far end of the hallway someone who looked like an employee at one of the stores. This person was facing away from him, and he described their attire as a short sleeve button-down shirt with a logo that looked like a store name with a matching hat. He said he didn't recognize the logo as any store currently occupying mall space. At first, Josh thought it was an employee working late, which was unusual because we were the only ones who bothered to stick around that long after dark. Then he noticed that one of this guy's arms was hanging much lower than the other, and his shoulder was missing. He said it looked like a dislocation, so he started jogging toward them shouting, Hey, do you need some help? Hey! He drew his mag light and put a beam on the guy to see if there was anyone else, or if the person was bleeding. He said he gave the guy a quick up and down, but when his beam hit the floor, he didn't see any feet. What do you mean you didn't see any feet? The skate shop manager asked. I mean, he didn't have any feet. He had legs, but no feet. He was floating there, said Josh, as the blood once again drained from his face. He then explained that he froze in place, trying to process who this person was. I'll never forget the detail he used to describe what he did next. He said he removed his keychain as slowly and carefully as he could, keeping the light and his eyes on the figure ahead. 
he crouched down and gently placed his keys on the floor. He did everything he could to not make his presence known. He said he didn't want that thing to turn around. He'd rather not see its face at all. Once he was free of his keys, he bolted back to the skate shop to get us out of there. That was Josh's last night on the job. He went on to become a guard at the local jail. The skate shop relocated to a strip mall on the other side of town a few weeks later, and none of us ever went back to the mall at night again. Smithy, thank you for sharing that encounter with us. I can't blame your friend Josh for unassing the area and quitting. Setting down the keys as to not make noise and hightailing it out of there are personally viable options in my opinion. Perhaps another supernatural activity happened that you were unaware of as well, because back in my skater days, with my experience, The security guards were always dicks. But then again, we were kind of dicks too. So I guess it's a wash. And with that, it's time to wrap up this seance of sound and send back all things dark beyond the veil. I would like to thank everyone who submitted a story for this episode and all those who have submitted stories thus far. If you have a story to submit, you can do so at scrypod.com, scrypodcast at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 573-203-8668. All stories on Scry are purported to be true. I would also like to thank Mew and Shadow Vibe, whose music appears in the stories throughout this episode. Check out the show notes for more info on these fantastic artists. And with that, it is time to once more close the gates. And as always, say goodbye. This is Scry. AJ <clears throat> There are people out there who care about you and are willing to love When we return, we'll look at an eerie encounter that is a first for Scry. <clears throat> Holy shit. <coughs> but I have done some digging after you submitted your story, and the legend. <coughs> Holy cow.
Oh, let's try that over again. I would like to add that I don't plan on sharing too many tales lacking a paranormal aspect. We'll look at an eerie encounter that is a first for Scry. That was one hell of a story. <laughs>